study. So we have uh, some different things that are about to happen with college students coming back in town. Um, over the past few weeks, we've been thinking about and, uh, some of our students leaving from here as well. Uh, with all the college ministry and everything starting back up, next week will be my last time teaching in here. And then um, John the Younger will be uh, teaching a couple of sessions at the end of uh at the end of the month. So just know we got one more class after this and uh, we get to wrap everything up. So I've enjoyed this study and I continue to enjoy it. And I hope that it has prompted you to study more as we think about the law and its impact, especially as we come into the New Testament. As I said uh, last week, uh, we are heading to the New Testament and we are there today, Mark, although we're going to start off with Deuteronomy. So uh, just to keep that up, uh, we are talking about Jesus and the law. And what we've been building up to at this point is understanding the law so that we can have this orientation about it to understand how the Jews saw it, how they used it, and how they failed to use it. And that was really the approach that we took last week, is that uh, the Jews, over time, they failed to really give heed to the Word of God, the law of God. And there's a lot of different ways that we can think about Jesus and the law. And uh, I was trying to think of the, the best approach that fits along with our project that we've been doing so far. And uh, we're going to spend some time in John but also Matthew as well, and I'll, I'll give some description of that in just a moment. But when you think about Jesus and how he used the law, you have to keep it in context to where we ended last week, which was the Israelites failed, and they went into exile because they did not obey God's word. And what we've been seeing throughout the book of Deuteronomy, what we've been seeing throughout the law itself, is to love God, to love what he shares with us and what he expects from us. And those are two of our main points that we've been driving home over and over again. Understand God's nature. And you're about to see God himself come to this earth. I love the description that Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 4 gives us of Jesus. That he is the exact imprint of God's nature. If you think about a, uh, a ring that has a, the signet ring that you would stamp into something. That is what Jesus is. He is the exact representation of God's nature. And so... You know, we can look around and we can see aspects of God's nature in creation itself. We understand things through the scriptures and what they reveal to us. But when you think about Jesus coming on the earth, he is God. He's the son of God. And when we see Jesus, we see God. So when you think about this nature, everything we've been building up to this point, understanding God's nature, the law is an extension of that. And when you see Jesus live out not only the law, but the full teaching of God itself, you understand something. And that leads us to our second point, those who... Uh, follow the law must love God first. And what we're going to see when we get to this New Testament understanding Jesus is that we love Jesus. And Jesus is that, uh, he's the one that establishes the new covenant. He gives us a new commandment. But it's not so unfamiliar that Jesus comes on the scene and we're thinking, what in the world is this? This, this guy, he's come on the scene and he's teaching things that we don't understand at all. No, it's just an extension of what God has already taught. And that's the beautiful picture that the Bible paints, is that it is consistent all the way through. As I said, I want to start off in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, it's really the last verse of chapter 12 going into 13. We talked about last week that Moses was this great prophet, and he spoke to God face to face. He was in the presence of God. He took the revealed will of God that the Israelites didn't want to hear because they were terrified. They only got 10 commandments out of the 613, and they said, we don't want to hear any more from God's voice. Moses, you go and get all those teachings, you bring them back to us. So we have Moses receiving these teachings and, and the people that came after him, the, the prophets and all these people, they were actually leading up to the great prophet, which is Jesus that comes from God. And little they know who Jesus was, but they've been looking for him. 
And when you get to Deuteronomy chapter 12 and then transitioning into chapter 13, it talks about how you can know if someone is really speaking on behalf of God. And you're going to see the same type of wordings in the New Testament. You're going to see the same thing come out with Jesus. But let's pick up in verse 32. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Now we've seen that same phrase, you know, or drifting left to the right, going beyond. We use the same language when we talk about uh, our obedience to God is that we don't get off the path. We don't veer from it. We stay exactly where we need to go. And especially when it comes to God's word, I want to know exactly what God had to say. I want to know what he continues to say through his word so that we can nail that down and figure out what does God really expect of me. But here's what happens if you get to chapter 13. It's kind of like this little heading that sits on top of it is the way I think about it. Don't go beyond it. He says, this is what it looks like when somebody goes beyond it. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, can you think of some stories throughout the Old Testament where we have some false prophets that come on the scene that are deceptive, that try and lead people away? In essence, it is a challenge from God. He says, are you going to listen to what I have told you or are you going to look at something else that's around you? When we get to New Testament, when we get to the time of Jesus, we see things really ramping up in the spiritual realm, if you want to think about it with that uh, perspective, that Jesus is combating against the kingdom of darkness. And we see all the things that Satan tried to establish and how that was done away with and how Jesus combated that on multiple fronts. But all through the Old Testament, we have the same thing, that there are people coming and speaking the wrong things. He says, look, what is the consistent factor you need to be aware of? And they're doing all these signs and wonders. He said, don't be led astray by those. Do you see some of the same language after Jesus leaves and he's even prepping people for his departure? And he says, you know, if somebody comes and they say, oh, there's the Christ or there he is. He's like, no, no, don't listen to that. I've already told you what to look for. All you have to do is just stick to what I've already told you. Don't go beyond it. But let's keep reading. And he focuses on to know whether to, uh, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Verse 4. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But the prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. All right, here's why we're starting here as we're thinking about Jesus. Is he a false prophet? Was he a liar? Was he rebelling against the commandments? What was Jesus doing? Think about it from the, Jew, uh, the perspective of the Jews. They're watching all these things that Jesus is doing, and they don't really have an answer for how this is all working out. Jesus is coming with signs and wonders and miracles. But the thing about Jesus is he's backed by the power of God to do that versus some other people that were doing things that were against God. He's consistent. Now, we know that the scribes and the Pharisees and some of those religious leaders, they had actually departed from the Word of God. And so when Jesus comes on and tries to pull everything back to center of what the law was all about, they didn't know how to handle that. And so they really get up in arms literally about that. And they say, look, Jesus, you, you are a false teacher. You're doing something that doesn't line up with what the law says. But what they were missing is what the law actually said. They were going off of what man says. But they're using this maybe to attest 
of determining is Jesus staying on track or is he, is he off the path? And I think this is inter- interesting if you would just stop and think about this in light of Jesus' ministry. If you were a Jew during that day and you're seeing all these things happening and you're hearing these teachings, how uncomfortable would you be? How aware would you be of this man that's doing things and you're going to have to give a description or you're going to have to give some kind of answer of how is he doing this? We talked about last week, right, that some people said, look, he's casting out demons by the power of Satan. And Jesus comes out and he's like, well, that's not the case because Satan can't cast out uh, Satan because his kingdom would fall apart. So he's got to be doing it somehow. Let's come to this question. Going from Deuteronomy and now into the New Testament as we think about Jesus. And open this back up to you. What are some examples or what are some ways that you see Jesus interacting with the law? And I, I kind of left it up from there. You can talk about his teaching. You can talk about uh, how he interacted with some of the Jewish leaders, whatever that may be. What comes to your mind when you think about Jesus and the law? So Daniel was talking about Jesus on the Sabbath. You know, think about his interaction with the law. You plop him in a scenario on the Sabbath, and you're going to see him come face to face with the law itself, but also variations from it. And that's what happens with all the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees and all their teachings that they misunderstood the Sabbath. So Jesus is going to bring that back. And he said, okay, let's actually talk about the Sabbath original intent back in the creation. Let's talk about what that is. Then let's see what Moses taught about it, but also let's think about it from a practical side. And so, yeah, uh, see Jesus on the Sabbath and you'll realize how he interacts with the law. Uh, Good example. What else comes to your mind? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you see the do not add nor take away in Jesus and his teachings. Uh, and once again, it goes to the traditions. Um, you know, he comes and he talks to them and, and they're challenging him back and forth about, uh, you know, should we honor father and mother? And they talk about, well, we've already taken this money and we've called it Corbin or we've already dedicated this to God so we can't give it to our father and mother to take care of them. He's like, you have like really gone way far past what God was intending that, you know, you're creating these false conflicts and even talking about oaths and things along those lines that the Pharisees were uh, creating all these traditions. And he says, you have gone beyond it. Come back to center. All right. Good example. What else? Okay. Yeah, so uh, you go to the golden rule and you think about some of those teachings um, do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. And he says, on this hangs the law and the prophets. 
what I'm teaching you is not foreign. It's not like I'm coming out of uh, left field that you've never heard of these things before. He said, that's what the law was trying to do this entire time. The, the law and the prophets, you can hang them on this. It makes sense. It's consistent with it. And so you can get into some of those specific teachings where he reaches back to the law itself. But I would encourage you the next time that you read through one of the gospel accounts. Um, recently, right, we just read through Mark, and that was a good, concise description of Jesus and his ministry and what he did and what he was teaching and all the way up to his death. I would encourage you to read the book of Matthew. Matthew is writing to Jews, and you can tell by some of his in-house language that he uses for them, that he has the most Old Testament quotations in the gospel accounts. Um, you're actually going to get a lot of uh, allusions through John, but Matthew himself, he is writing to Jews, and you can tell that he's trying to teach them, look, Jesus that's standing in front of you, he's the one that we are aware of, that we knew all about, if you would just connect the dots. So the next time you read through the gospel of Matthew, Look for Jesus interacting with the law. And that may come out in his conversations with the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, religious leaders, priests. Maybe it's in some of his parables. Maybe it's um, him talking about the temple. It's a number of things that you can be aware of, of Jesus interacting in this way. Let's establish a few points about Jesus. We're going to be looking at next week, uh, Jesus and the rest of the Bible. Um, really, we're going to be thinking about Paul and how he uses it. And I, I tried to steer away from it, but you know, you just got to connect everything. Here's one of the statements that Paul makes about Jesus in Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 5. And, and this is one of those, um, you know, when I think about intimidating books of the New Testament, I think about the book of Romans. Romans is really intimidating because of its language that it uses. And it talks about law in there. And we're going to try and find a line of sight all the way through it maybe next week. Galatians is kind of the condensed version. So if you want to start somewhere soft, and then, or maybe if you want to start with Romans, read through it, and then get to Galatians and get a condensed view of it, it might be helpful. But as Paul is building this argument about who Jesus is and how he interacts with the law, he makes this statement about him, and we're going to use this, and then we're going to backtrack uh, back into the Gospels. Galatians chapter 4, 4-5, through five, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now you can study that phrase when the fullness of time had come, and God had this plan that he put everything into place to get to this. God sent his son. Going back to the nature and understanding who God is, he sent his representative. Jesus tells parables to drive that point home about a son coming on behalf of the father to a group of disobedient people that were maybe not taking care of a vineyard or a field. And, and the son comes and he's being punished that God sent his son to be his representative, to speak on his behalf, born of woman. So you get the son of God, but you also get the dual aspect of him being born of woman. And because of that, that he is a man, he was born under the law in a Jewish household purified by the Jewish standards. You see him in the temple at a young age. You see him doing all the things that would happen as a Jewish boy during that time. He was born under the law, but he's going to fulfill the law. He's not going to break it. He's going to fulfill it. He's going to show us what it was all about and what it was pointing to. And he takes those statements. I like the way that Paul sets this up because then he's going to flip them over on its head. And he said, all right, so he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So he's going to take all these people that were bound by the things of the law and he's going to redeem them, he's going to take them out, but he's going to give them a new commandment. In the same way that Jesus was born under the law, or he answered to the law, he said, now for us, 
He's going to make us sons of God, children of God. He brings us into the family so that we are heirs according to the promise along with Jesus. It's just a good little wording here, but I wanted to use this as a foundation for thinking about Jesus and how he interacts with the law, that he was born underneath it. He, he knew what it was all about. He was taught and he was trained. We see him in a Jewish household. We see him in a Jewish community. We see him going to the synagogue as a, a Jewish man would do, and he reads in the synagogue, but it all goes differently when he reads from the law, like you'll find in Luke chapter 4, and he says, this is about me, and he closes it, and he sits down, and he waits. People are amazed at that point. They've been waiting for this to happen, and it actually does, but they don't really know how to accept it. So just hold on to those descriptions in uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 5, and maybe put those as a heading in Matthew chapter 1 when he goes to the genealogy leading up to who Jesus is. Maybe put that in there just as a reference of, all right, we know that he was uh, the Son of God, he was a man, and he was born under the law. And his purpose is to redeem those people under the law and to bring us into a family with God. So just a good little marking there. As I said, we're going to backtrack. So we're going back and we're really going to come to the end of a gospel account. We're looking at Luke chapter 24. Just some verses for you to be aware of, and you probably already know them. Um, how do we know that Jesus is the one that the law talked about? Well, there's this good passage in Luke 24, starting in verse 44. After Jesus has been resurrected, he's speaking to his disciples, and they're, they're kind of confused about some things, and you can tell just by uh, what's happening here. But he says to them, these, uh, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms might be fulfilled. It's kind of this... Uh, the breakdown of the Old Testament itself, and we've only been thinking about one aspect of it. It's not really an equal third, but from what Jesus is using here, you've got the law, prophets, and the Psalms. You can find Jesus in all those sections, represented in a lot of great ways, but the law is what we've been thinking about, and we've been looking for this prophet. We've been looking for this representative. We've been looking for the fulfillment of the law. And he says, all the things I've been talking about you, uh, talking to you about the law, I have fulfilled them. You can also do the same thing throughout the prophets. Look at how many examples in the prophets we have. Messianic prophecies pointing to Jesus. Isaiah 53 being one of those major ones. And then the Psalms. Read Psalm chapter 2 and you have a prophecy about Jesus. But for the sake of what he's saying here, everything written about me in the law of Moses has been fulfilled. Verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance, forgiveness of sins, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You know, it's that um, conjoining of Luke and Acts. You transition right into Acts chapter 1, that they are waiting in Jerusalem for whatever is going to happen to them, and then we go on from the day of Pentecost, and you find everything from there. But he's saying, all right, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, all of these things pointed to who he was. But in a very specific way, these things are written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. That's really the Great Commission. That's Luke's version of it. This is what you're going to be teaching. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament, to those references, and you can have evidence of a witness that was on the scene hundreds of years before Jesus even showed up, telling you what he was going to look like, where he was going to be, at what point he was going to be born, all those things. So reach back to the Old Testament, pull those in, 
But then where do you go from here? You go further into the New Testament to know what do you teach about this? So he's saying, all right, you have everything you need. And this is one of the purposes of the law was to lead you to Jesus so you can accept what he has to say. As we keep backing up, and we're going to go to a different gospel account, go to John chapter 18. My question slide did not pop up at this point, but as we're going backwards through Jesus, and then we'll come forward and we'll meet in the middle. Why was Jesus crucified? What are some of the, uh, some of the accusations? What are some of the things that led Jesus to die on the cross? What are they? Claimed he was God. All right, so they, you know, blaspheming these things. That um, He says that he's a son of God, but he also says he's the son of man. And on the clouds and all this kind of stuff, he said, yeah, that's going to be me. Just be ready for that. So they didn't know how to handle that. So that's one of the things. Very good. What else did they try and throw at him? Whether it's a, a false accusation or not, what are some other things that brought Jesus to the point of the cross? So the, the religious leaders, they were just angry at him. They were trying to find any reason to get this man killed. And if he would just step over the line one time, if he would go against what they were teaching, they were going to try and nail him on it. All right, what else? Claim to be a king. Do what? Their king, Yes. Remember what we talked about in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, that the prophet, he was going to come from their own. But there were also some prophecies about a king, and you can go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and some other passages along with that, that there is someone coming that's going to sit on the throne of David, that's going to be the root of Jesse, and he will reign forever. Jesus comes into Jerusalem in the last week of his life, starting in Matthew chapter 21. And as he's coming into the, uh, into the city, you know, they're throwing all their coats and, and uh, branches on the road, and they're, and they're saying, this is the king coming down. And what is the sign that goes above Jesus' head when he's on the cross? The king of the Jews. So he's making some claims, but they also use that with the, along with the Romans because they're like, hey, uh, Romans, I, I thought you were supposed to appoint us king, and look, we have this self-appointed king, and the people are acknowledging him. This is going against Roman law. You guys need to handle this. This is just getting out of control. Y'all want to control us? Well, you need to handle this. They tried every way possible to do that. Maybe another uh, reason they tried to get him on the cross, they were trying to get him killed, is, uh, and it was kind of a false accusation, although Jesus did some, say some things that they misquoted, that he said he was going to destroy the temple. And he's talking about his temple, his body, that was going to be destroyed, and in three days it was going to be raised up. But they spun it around, and they said, he's going he's to destroy this temple, this one man's going to do it. They would have had the uh, conversation on the Mount of Olives in Matthew chapter 24. They would have found out that temple will be destroyed. He just didn't say that he was going to be the one that was going to do it. It was going to be the, the Romans about uh, 40 years later. So all these things. Why was Jesus led to the cross? Why was he taken to the cross? Multiple reasons. The one I want to narrow down on is concerning the law. And that's what we're going to look at in John chapter 18, starting in verse 28. He's already had this little trial with the Jews, which was just illegal in every way. Um, shameless plug for my father-in-law. He wrote a book on that, of the ways that Jesus' trials were the most unjust trials. And he uh, tells us all the different ways that they uh, violated that. So he's coming out of the Jewish trials, and he's now going to go to the Roman trials. And they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. 
They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, so they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. So that's one of those points you would want to underline here. He's like, what are you guys doing here? You know, look, this man has done some evil. We would not have come into your presence, O Pilate, had this man been faultless. It would have made no sense. And now they knew the law, that they actually could not put someone to death. And we find some examples of some things uh, with some of their stonings that they could. But for the most part, they had to come to the Romans for that kind of permission. So he's saying, look, Jesus has done evil, and you need to handle this. And they've got to find some way to justify this man being killed to the Romans. And he's looking at him, he's like, you judge him by your own law. What does your law have to say about this man? What has he done? And the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Now he's talking about the Roman law at this point. He said, we don't have the permission to do that. It's going to have to come from you. But I like verse 32. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show what kind of death he was going to die. If you go back through the book of Romans, you're going to find instances where Jesus says, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be presented to all people. I'm going to be lifted up the same way that uh, in the wilderness that Moses lifted up the bronze serpent. He'd already talked about that. He was going to have to be crucified. He was going to have to hang on a tree is what I was talking about in the law. But also Paul is going to say the same thing, that he had to become a curse by dying on the tree. He knew what kind of death he was to have. So all these things led to this point. And what did we learn from Luke chapter 24? That the Christ was to suffer what kind of suffering? What kind of prophecies can we find in the Old Testament that talk about what kind of death Jesus was to die? Maybe look into the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, and I think there's some, uh, some things to draw out from there. But I come back to that. He says, judge them by your own law. Was Jesus guilty of the law of Moses? Now, here's something that we have to deal with. Did Jesus sin? And we know he's sinless. We, we know for him to be the ultimate sacrifice, he was sinless. We know he didn't break the law. Even when he was doing things on the Sabbath, he was showing us a bigger picture. There's something there. So we have all this information to come in, and we, we know that he never broke the law. And that's why they were trying to launch all these things at him, trying to figure out what was going on. And he wasn't blaspheming. He was fulfilling when he said that I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man that was prophesied about. Let's keep reading and looking at some other things. Let's go over one more chapter to John chapter 19. He's going to have another conversation with Pilate, starting in verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So I've gone through the questioning process. I've looked at everything that he's taught, everything that he says. He is guilty. I mean, he is innocent by our law. And Pilate knew the Jewish law. He would not be the governor in this town, in this city, in this place, had he not known what the Jews taught. He was very aware of it, and he's like, I find no guilt in him. There's no reason for him to die. Verse 5, so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. So they, you know, they've been mocking him, saying that he is a king, and they found that he actually never said he was a king, and this is just them putting their thumb on him one more time of, you don't get to say that you're a king. We tell you when you're a king, and you're not one. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, 
We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself, what? The son of God. They knew what the law said. That no one puts themselves on equal plane with God or they're going to be put to death. Unless you are actually God and then you are on the same plane as him. And Jesus in his entire ministry was setting that up. If they would just look and see, they would know, behold, the Son of God. What is Peter's confession? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 2,000 years down the road, in line with all the people of faith, what are we still saying when we connect all the dots, when we put everything together, when we add up the law itself as those evidences, but just look at everything that Jesus, uh, that uh, God and Jesus have taught. We look at Jesus and we say, you are the Son of God. It all pointed to this. And yes, in some way, the law did point that he was going to die, but not for the reasons they're putting him on the cross. He was going to the cross to die because we sinned not him. They missed what the law was saying and what it was pointing to. Jesus did all of this. So, as we look at Jesus, and this is at the end of his life and how he interacts with the law, we, we find out how he ended up on the cross. And my challenge to you at the end of last week was to look at Hebrews chapter 8 to see about this new covenant that Jesus was going to teach, and we're about to see that in a moment. But what was Jesus teaching? If they're saying that he's going against the law, that he's um, contradicting Moses and all this kind of stuff, what was he actually saying? Let's look at some passages. Matthew chapter 5, I'm pretty sure I've referenced this about, you know, in every class that I've taught so far, um, just so that we have an awareness of it, but now we get to read it a little bit more fully. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I'm not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless the righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Where we started in this class this morning was looking at how you can know what a true prophet is. And, uh, we already knew that from Deuteronomy chapter 18, but we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 13. We can know what Jesus was all about, and that he was consistent with the law itself. And the law he used as a platform to get him where he needed to go, but also so that his teachings would make sense. Anything that he taught, we've already heard before. And that's exactly what happens in these next few statements, starting in Matthew chapter 5, 21, through the end of that chapter. We have what's called the antithetical statements in the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is doing, he's saying, you have heard it was said. So he's going to reach back to the Old Testament. He's going to pull in these teachings and drop it in front of you. You have heard that it was said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, um, you know, you've heard eye for an eye, all these kind of things. You've heard these things, and now I'm going to put it in front of you. What is that all about? Is it just the commandment itself, and as long as you don't kill someone, as long as you don't commit adultery, you're fine? What have we seen about the law as an extension of God's nature? And then to be able to do the law, you have to love God. And loving God is also going to make you love other people that are created in the image of God. That's where he comes in on the second half of that, and he says, but I say to you, 
is he creating a new commandment? Well, now we are going to find exactly what that new commandment is, but it's still this consistent picture, this guardian bringing us over. You've heard what the commandment said about adultery, about murder, about oaths, all this kind of thing. But I'm saying to you, look at the heart matter behind it. In order for us to be able to do the commandments of God, we have to love God. And we're going to do whatever He asks us to do. So when you've heard, don't murder, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother, and he goes through those descriptions, or whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent, or whoever uh, swears by the temple and does all these kind of things, he, he goes further into this, and he's like, you guys missed what the law was trying to tell you to do. You missed the heart aspect of it. And let me just open up that just a little bit more so you can see into it. And we're really just seeing into who Jesus is and what he did. It wasn't just the letter of the law itself, but it was the very essence of it that we find in Jesus. So you have these statements, but I say to you. And when Jesus finishes for us the Sermon on the Mount at the end of Matthew chapter 7, this is, the, uh, this is what it says at the end. And when Jesus finished these sayings, uh, verse 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Why did it look like Jesus had authority? Why were they already able to spot that by listening to a sermon? How did he have authority? What made him stand out differently? What would you say to that? Why did they think that he had authority? He's just teaching. Okay, so you've got his confidence um, that he's able to say these things. Okay, I think that's an aspect of it, but what else? So he's able to go deeper into it. The scribes, and the scribes knew the letter of the law. Their whole job was just to make copies of the law. They would write every single letter, count every letter, know every line, how it all lined up. And if anything was out of place, they were going to be accountable for it. They, they knew what the law was all about and they could teach you. But Jesus had authority versus them. Why is that? Why did they look? Why did Jesus look different from them? He was able to show them what the law was all about. They could tell you about it. But why was that there? Jesus is opening that up a little more. What else? Why did Jesus have authority, or why did it look like he had he had authority? So, yeah, you've got, so you've got Jesus living by the law. You know, and we struggle with this too. Like, you know, we, we look at anyone that stands up in the pulpit or anyone that speaks on behalf of Christianity, and you know, they end up kind of on this you know, pedestal, and, and we can just launch accusations to them left and right of, yeah, but they fell over here, and they said this, or they did that. We're humans, and we make mistakes. And people think that that negates the truth of Christianity just because you have someone that speaks that sins, 
it doesn't negate the truth. It gives a bad representation to it, but it doesn't go, it doesn't destroy the evidence of what it actually is. But the thing with Jesus is that he was consistent, that he was true, and he was perfect in everything he said, everything he did, but also the law, all the things that they thought he was right in line with it. But he also had the miracles to back it up. And what's cool about the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount here is that there's no miracle involved with it at all. He teaches and they say, he's got authority. A lot different than these scribes over here. They can tell you the law, but he's actually able to live it and tell us what it was all about. Very different from the rest of them. Here's another instance. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Just we think about how Jesus interacts with the law and how he teaches people. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. All right, so here comes a lawyer, different group of people, you know, the Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees and lawyers and priests and the high priests and all these representatives, they should know what they're talking about. Especially the lawyer. He knew about the law itself. He was this uh, educated teacher. So he tries to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Now, it's always the best way, right? And, you know, I, I think this guy that was trained in, um, you know, especially he was coming up to test them, uh, questions turned back on, back on him. He's like, I know this tactic. <laughs> you know, he knows what's going on here. But Jesus turns the question. He says, all right, you know the law. What does it say? You're asking me, but let's compare our teachings. What are you going to say? How do you read it? It's not just up for interpretation. That's not what he's saying here. He said, all right, you know what's actually in there. Tell me, and then I'll let you know if we disagree. Verse 27, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer knew. Now, when we read in Matthew chapter 22 where Jesus comes out and he says, You love God first and you love your neighbor as yourself. It wasn't this new revolutionary idea that no one had ever heard before. Oh, that's what this is all about. No, everyone knew if, if we are to follow the law of God, if we are to have eternal life and, and fulfill what God has asked us to do, you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The lawyer knew what the truth was. Jesus knew what the truth was. And we already know that he was teaching this. Verse 28, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Verse 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? I can just see him stumbling at this point of, oh, I thought we were going to be on a different page. I was going to test him, and he's not as different as I thought. Uh, let me justify myself about what's going on here. And then he goes further, and Jesus talks about the Good Samaritan, a good passage from here. What I wanted to draw out, though, is this idea about what the law taught, which we've been building on, and I hope that makes sense of where we've been this entire time. You love God, and you love His teachings and His commandments, all this. And the same picture of eternal life has been there from the beginning all the way through. Do what God asks you to do. It's a very simple thing. To jump one more time, um, and this is linking these things together, to jump one more time in a New Testament passage, Romans chapter 13. You know, we start in Romans 13 about uh, being submission to governing authorities. And, and maybe it's Paul's, as he's writing that, and his argumentation, if you can understand the governing authorities and our submission to them, then you have this right perspective on authority itself. Maybe there's a, there's a reason why he begins this way, so that when we get to verse 8, 
something is very apparent in our mind. Verse 8, owe no one anything except to love. Now, if you just look up a few verses, do you see a, a similar word set up here? I've got it in my Bible. I've only got verse 8 up here, but owe no one anything. What did he just say right above that about owing revenue, taxes, to whom it's owed? Governing authorities, you can understand how this works. If someone's in charge and they ask you to do something, you do it. As long as it doesn't violate the will of God, you just go on with it. But under the authority and the will and the commandments of God, what are we all about? It's all about love. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled what? The law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandments are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. God had to give all these commandments, all these line items, just to keep us in check, but he should just be able to look at us and say, love your neighbor. Love God, you're already going to do what he's going to ask you to do, but to love your neighbor. And if you are going to treat your neighbor the same way that you want to be treated, how much different would the world be? It's, it's revolutionary, but it's also just that simple. And we've missed it over and over again. But if you want to take this passage, and maybe you can see that, that chain of uh, passages all linking together and how it's just a simple thought. If you want a more in-depth study, do it this way. I'm going to present a few chapters to you. Uh, John 13 through 16. And we could just read the entire time. Uh, it would be my choice. Um, but here's my challenge to you. You're going to be looking for Jesus' love and commands. And I want you to read John chapter 13 through 16 and look for a, a few things. As you go into that chapter, um, where are they at in John chapter 13? Where's the, where's the scenario taking place? The upper room. Not before Jesus is going to be crucified. His last time that he's going to be uh, spending with his apostles. The book of John, we're halfway through the book. The latter half of the book is all going to happen over a few day span. There's a lot of emphasis being placed here. But John chapter 13 is going to be this conversation he has with his apostles, his last night with them. Right on top of this, and um, it's, I'm going to put it as a little heading because I think it's going to make sense. And I don't have it up here, but this is why I'm giving it to you. John chapter 12, sitting right on top of where this scenario is going in John's gospel. We start in verse 44. Let's read together. John 12, starting in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I don't judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me does not uh, receive my words. He has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given himself, excuse me, who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Do you see the chain of command? Do you see the authority? Jesus is consistent with the Father. His words are consistent. You don't have to say, and you can, that you know what Jesus is speaking. He's like, look, I came to save the world. My words will judge you because they're God's words. 
what he says, I do. What he, uh, what he says, I speak. What he does, I do. All these things just work together. And we're going to see a prayer. Well, you can see a prayer in John chapter 17. He says, you take this same teaching to the rest of the world. But as that sits on top in this transition, this narrative that John tells, and you go into John chapter 13, read those few chapters in uh, your personal study, and note the times that you see Jesus and God related together, what we just saw in here. They're synonymous with each other and what they teach and what they do. Look for the times it talks about love, and what does love look like when it's being lived? Look at word and how the word is represented, and look at the commands that he teaches. And you will find this being practiced, maybe in a simple way, at the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, go and teach them all that I have commanded you. What has Jesus commanded? The law is an extension of God's nature. Jesus is that word of God in flesh. And if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. How powerful is that? We'll continue next week with looking at the rest of the New Testament and how it uses the law.